Amen. Thanks, Dan. Um, so, as Dan said, I'm Ellie. I'm one of the other leaders here, and it is my pleasure this morning to be opening God's Word with you. We're in a season called Devoted. We're looking at Acts chapter 2, where we see the life of the early church. And we've been working our way through this passage, drawing out the different themes that we're seeing there in this blueprint of what God wants his church to be. And last week, Katie excellently opened up the passage that we're going to read shortly, looking at generosity. Generosity to each other. And afterwards, uh, for those of you that were here or caught up on the gathering afterwards, Beth came and she brought us a word about what it means to be generous in our worship, having an, uh, an attitude of this gratitude in our praise to God and centering our hearts upon Jesus, letting our hearts really sing out. And that's where we're picking up from this morning. What does it look like for us to have the Spirit lead us in praise as a result of God's goodness to us? So I'm going to read to you from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. Hopefully for lots of you, it's becoming quite familiar now. If you're visiting with us, you are so welcome this morning. From 42 then. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs they performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes like we did this morning. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. Now, have you ever noticed how much we as humans love to sing? Whether that is a crowd of thousands at Glasgow, hands up in the air, uniting around a shared love of music, whether that is football fans singing out their anthems, whether that is the slightly cringy Sir Cliff leading us in a Wimbledon sing-song, or whatever that looks like. There's numerous choirs, aren't there, that have popped up online during lockdown, because there's something about singing that unites us as a people. If you think back to the last birthday party you went to, I'm pretty confident that singing Happy Birthday would have been a feature somewhere, yeah? Singing naturally occurs in our culture, happens spontaneously all around the world, and music elicits an emotional response in us. But have you ever really stopped to wonder why? Or more to the point, as we gather here today, why do we sing in worship? Generally speaking, singing in a church gathering is widely accepted by various denominations all age groups, most cultures. So why is that? Why do we sing? Well, first, I'm going to suggest that one really good reason that we gather to sing is that God himself sings. In Zephaniah 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves, he will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you but will rejoice over you 
with singing. Jesus himself sang songs of praise after the Last Supper. And we celebrated with communion this morning. It says in Matthew 26, Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the, com- of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. When they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And we see when Jesus is on the cross, he cries out with the words of the Psalms. And the Psalms are a Jewish songbook. We worship a God who sings. He wants us to be like him. We're called to replicate the character of Christ as he transforms us. So I'm confident singing should be involved. But more than just setting an example, God commands us to sing. All told in the Bible, there are over 400 references to singing and 50 direct commands to sing. We're commanded to sing more than almost anything else in the Bible. God built us to sing. We're designed for it. We're specially crafted so that it powerfully impacts us as well as impacting the spiritual realm. When we sing, we obey God's command. The longest book in the Bible by verses is the Psalms, a book of songs. We see music accompanying many of the major events of the Bible as God's people are led forward in battle, as Jesus' birth is announced through an angelic song, as Mary then processes that birth. In what other medium? song. In the New Testament, we are commanded twice to sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs together when we meet. And we find those verses in Ephesians and Colossians, and we're going to quickly look at them now. So Ephesians 5 verses 18 to 21 says this, be filled with the Spirit addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Colossians 3 verse 16 is the other time we get this command, and it says this, let message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs of the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. It's in true obedience that we give the glory to God. It's what every person's chief goal and purpose is to bring glory to his name. And Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 bring this out simply but powerfully, telling us to sing to to God, to sing to the Lord, because he is the object of our praise. Ephesians 5 says, sing and make melody to the Lord with your heart, because it's to him and it's about him that we sing. And this mechanism is the way that this message of Scripture ends up dwelling deeply in us. Music becomes this powerful gift from God that complements and supports and deepens the impacts of those words as we sing. Singing has a really 
unique way of connecting our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and keeping our entire focus completely and rightly on God. In an age of distraction, singing grabs our attention. Songs also give us a vocabulary to explore who God is and declare what it is that he's doing in our life. Those moments in a song when we pause and we reflect on our own thoughts, when we pause and we listen to what God wants to speak over us. The lyrics that teach us profound truths about God, reinforcing those biblical values and transforming our minds by moving thoughts beyond just us and our circumstances and lifting our gaze to focus them on Jesus. That's what makes singing and offering to God. It's a deliberate choice and action. Through it, we recognize in thanksgiving his love for us and our love for him as our creator and our redeemer. But songs also help to build in us a really robust theology. C.J. Mahaney um, calls song worship take-home theology because the best songs that we sing serve as a three-minute little package of easily memorizable, deeply biblical truth from Scripture. We declare that truth over one another when we sing in the hymns and the songs that are full of this deep theological text. There's richness there. For example, when we sing in Christ alone, well, there we've got a theology of the cross of Jesus and practical applications for what that means and how that impacts our life as we look forward to his coming again. We open ourselves up to get those holy earworms of those songs that run around in our head just speaking God's truth over us. The New Testament uh, scholar Gordon Fee once said, show me a church's songs and I'll show you their theology. I reckon that's pretty true, don't you? Because another key benefit of this gift of song is the way that God designed our brains to work with it as an aid to memory. Every culture has songs and rhymes to help their children learn the alphabet and the months of the year and various different lists. Even as adults, our ability to memorize a text is markedly improved by using mnemonic devices or patterns or song. Our minds are hardwired to recognize, to categorize, and to remember patterns in music far better than in words alone. Have any of you ever noticed how easy it is to recall the words of a song that you sang growing up, or one of those annoying jingles that we get on the radio or in adverts? Or maybe you found yourself singing along to a song and realized you haven't heard that since it was a hit when you were a teenager. But somehow you're magically transported back to the memories that you had around that time and still know all the words word by word as you go through. We see this power of music in Alzheimer's patients where sometimes they struggle to remember the name of their spouse and yet can join in and sing a song together that they learned as a child. We store hundreds of songs in these memory vaults that are our minds, ready to be accessed at a moment's notice. But what if that's because that's the way God 
designed us to be so that we could remember biblical truth? How can we better utilize that? If we're struggling to memorize scripture, maybe we could use and make use of some of the memory verse songs that they use in Treehouse, for example. I'm guessing most of our kids and an awful lot of their parents can quickly tell you how to armor up Ephesians 6 style since their last <laughs> sessions. And in Deuteronomy 31, God says to Moses directly, I'm going to teach you a new song and you're going to teach it to the people of Israel as they come into the promised land. And there's going to be evils and troubles that come upon them. And this, this song is going to confront them as a witness to what I've done. For it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. So songs are also for us to pass on what God has done to others. So, so far, God does it. We want to copy him. He commands it for our good. And it helps us to remember the words of scripture and for those really to dwell deeply in us. But singing also connects us emotionally. Along with helping us to remember the words, singing connects those words to our hearts. Music is capable of moving us in both subtle and really profound ways. And God is worthy of our purest, strongest emotion. Singing helps us to express that, it helps to ignite that in us. So back in our passages we looked at in Colossians 3, we were told sing with thankfulness in our hearts to God because we must connect with what it is that we are singing. Music is meant to affect us. I can remember Emily once leading us in singing, it is well with my soul. Give me us time to consider and enjoy the peace that God alone can bring our souls. That gentle repetition of those words, helping us to lift our eyes and fix them on him. To reflect and to declare that truth over ourselves. Whether or not all was well with our circumstances, we could declare that all was well with our souls. But it's more than just an emotional connection. Singing actually encourages attachment with God as father and to each other. In a study by Jason Keller and his colleagues in 2015, they showed that choral singing increases oxytocin, which is sometimes called the love hormone. This excites the midwife in me. Because oxytocin is the labor hormone It's a small peptide, it's just nine amino acids long, but it does mighty things as as women labor, as they feed their children, as parents have skin to skin with their babies. Oxytocin is a system activator. And oxytocin does a number of important things. During breastfeeding, it's released by the brain of both the mum and the infant. It uh, induces a great variety of physical responses, but one of its key purposes is in bonding. Oxytocin creates a release of opioids, of serotonin, of dopamine, of noradrenaline, which supports that bonding and attachment process, as well as stimulating that well-being. It induces anti-stress effects, it decreases sensitivity to pain, it decreases inflammation, and stimulates processes related to growth and healing. 
But how cool is that, that God built that into us, that we could experience that release of hormone that helps us to bond as we sing? How clever is his design of us, that the God who would never leave nor forsake us has built that extra process in to help us to deeply bond to him in a secure attachment. He says, I'm the vine and you're the branches. You're meant to be bonded to me. Jesus prays in John 17, Father, make us one with them just as we're one with one another. In another study by Sarah Wilson, who is the clinical neuropsychologist and head of the School of Psychological Sciences in the University of Melbourne, she looked at what happens to the brain when we sing. She got a bunch of volunteers of varying vocal ability, which was good news for me, um, and put them in an MRI scanner as they warbled away to see what was happening to their brains. And she said, when we sing, large parts of our brains light up with activity that there's a singing network in our brain which is broadly distributed. When we speak, the hemisphere of the brain dealing with language lights up. However, when we sing, both sides of the brain spark into life. We also see involvement of the emotional networks in the brain. She continues, while the act of singing in itself activates several things in our bodies and brains, when we engage in it with others, another layer is added to this. Now, Wilson's team are about to embark on a new study looking at how music creates this feeling of unity. This study is going to look at what it means for us to come together with a communal sense of sharing because of it. And she says, there's evidence that in general, singing as a group enhances our sense of empathy and of social connection. We see this at football clubs, in people singing in congregations in church. It's a community-building activity because we're united in one voice. There's a very strong area of research that supports this particular neuropeptide, oxytocin, is believed to play a role in increasing bonds and trust between people. It is fundamental in our biological makeup. So singing is God's gift to us, because not only does it bond us to God, but it bonds us with one another as the church. It binds us together. It's way more effective than reciting words or shouting words in unison. The gospel is what unites us, but singing is this additional layer to what bonds us through the gospel. We recognize that God gives each of us different gifts, but at the end of the day, we are all called, we are all wanted, and we are all expected to sing. So my, one of my hopes for this morning is that we come to a place of Psalm 96, which is sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Share the news of his saving work every single day. Because singing also declares truths in an evangelistic way. Psalm 105, verses 1 and 2, is an instruction to the Israelites to be light to the nations. And to do this, he says, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. Sing to him, sing praise to him. Tell of all of his wonderful acts. Tim Keller, in his book, uh, Worship by the Book, says good corporate worship will naturally be evangelistic. 
be willing to make ourselves vulnerable by showing others our hearts as we interact with him publicly, we declare that the gospel is at work in our lives. But often we can think of singing only in the happy times and the good times. But singing also brings us strength for the trials. We're going to look a little bit at lamenting in a moment. But in Acts chapter 16, we find Paul and Silas who have been unjustly imprisoned for the sake of the gospel. They've been stripped and beaten up by a crowd. They're chained up in jail. And then what do we find them doing? They're singing. 16 verse 25 says they were singing. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Psalm 59, perhaps, was a go-to. Verse 16, I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been my fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Perhaps to Psalm 63, verse 7, for you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. Maybe over into Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. But perhaps that's not where they went, because the Psalms are also raw. Maybe they went to Psalm 6, verse 3. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord? How long? Or maybe they dug into the words of Psalm 13. How long, Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look to me and answer, Lord. Give, my light, give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. And my enemy will say, I have overcome. And my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise. Now, there's some difficult questions in there, and they are not off limit to us to bring in worship. It's good for us to bring lament, our questions as to why the world is the way that it is, our doubts, our grief to God in worship, because it's actually part of what it means to draw close to him, to not shut him out of that part of our life. It means it's going to feel uncomfortable and not particularly British or very stiff upper lip, whether it's an awful lot healthier. It might mean that we have to quieten that bit of us that says things aren't quite as bad as they can get yet. I'm not quite in my worst case scenario, so I'll keep bottling this stuff up. It means we don't have to go, they've got a tougher time than me, so I'll just suck it up for now. Because nothing about somebody else's circumstances invalidates your pain or negates your ability to experience it. Perhaps we sometimes struggle to do this because we fear expressing our need or opening up the door to some of that sadness because we're worried we might become overwhelmed. 
Or maybe we have shame in sensing a lack of resilience in ourselves rather than acknowledging that it is a natural part of our condition as we go through some of the tough stuff of life and the response to those traumas we find in our circumstances. Perhaps when our circumstances make us feel abandoned by God or we're struggling with disappointment, we have a tendency to feel alone and to feel isolated and actually to remove ourselves from community. We can feel shame in that response. But lament is so important. That's why we find it biblically. Because it stops that grief coming out in anger and bitterness and damage. So thank God for his word. Because God gives us words to do this in scripture. There's an invitation and there is permission to come and do the same. Because allowing ourselves to grieve loss the loss of plans, the loss of hope, the loss of people, maybe the loss of health. Grieving that stuff is vital as part of our healing. Failing to grieve it and squashing it down just gets us stuck. We need to express it somewhere safe. And God is a safe place to do that. Paul says, I don't want you to grieve as those people with no hope. Because we're a people with a hope. The hope of a steadfast God. So in the Colossians and the Ephesians passages where we looked at earlier, it said, do the Psalms as community. It said, when we share our stories with each other, we can experience other people pointing us back to hope, speaking truth over us, giving us permission to feel all of this stuff and yet to hold on to God's goodness. It gives us the opportunity to pray against the darkness and the confusion for each other while people still work through that heartache. It's making space to deal vulnerably with the heartache, but knowing that others are praying for us to dig in in faith. Expressing pain and grief sometimes makes us nervous that somehow doing this is showing a lack of faithfulness. Lament isn't a sign of losing faith, but of bringing that pain to God, knowing that you have the faith that he is the very best person to bring it to. It's really important relationally, crying out to God is the voice of the faithful and not of the faithless. Because when people hurt, often we are so quick to want to fix a situation And maybe our hearts land on Romans 8, 28. Well, we know that God works in all things for the good of those who love him. Or we come to Ephesians 1, verse 11, and we say, well, God conforms everything to his will. But when you're hurting, even though those things are beautiful and true, sometimes that's not what you need to hear. We need to point each other to a space in Scripture to say, you need to engage with your emotion with God because he's a safe place to do it. You know, pain for me was what took me to the Psalms when I was in a place in my life where I'd run out of words to pray. Where things hurt too much, the Psalms were the words that I could use. I was faithfully and lovingly guided back into a place of expressing anything to God, knowing that he is big enough to deal with it, and seeking his faithfulness in it. You know, Psalm 13 that we read earlier Oh God, how long? How long is this going to keep going? Please, God, listen. 
know what it ends in? It ends in a declaration of my circumstances are rubbish and I'm stuck and this stuff hurts, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation and I will sing your praise. And sometimes that has to be a conscious choice in the pain. So read the Psalms together. And sometimes the stuff that resonates with you will be personal and that will be for you and you can pray out the stuff that you need to use those words to bring before God. And sometimes the stuff that will come out in the Psalms are things that you guys can be praying over each other as a church because we're one big family together. We do this stuff together. Be praying for one another. It pushes us against our natural human temptation to try and fix stuff and actually allows people just to be in the presence of the one who loves them beyond measure. When I was, my first proper experience of real grief was when I was about 16. And one of my friends I massively looked up to had gone to university and she was like perfect in every way. She was really, really lovely. She was also head girl because she managed that perfect combination of managing somehow to be super geeky and yet really cool and really fun. Um, But she was a, a really robust Christian. And she went to university, and in her first year, she got meningitis. And she was seeming to be really improving, and then she was medically mismanaged. Someone processed her results wrongly, withdrew treatment, and she died really rapidly and very suddenly. And we were all told at church, and I can remember the news was dropped, the worship band struck back up with, God is good, we're going to sing and shout it, God is good. And it felt like someone had just stuck a knife through my heart and twisted. But afterwards, because that was painful, it's painful to acknowledge God's goodness in what felt devastating. But afterwards, some people wiser than us came to sit with us and were like, there is no safer place to be than expressing whatever you are feeling to God. And that's what the Psalms give us space to do. Because God is our comfort And he is our compassion, our source of all of that. But we also get to point one another to a time when all pain is going to stop. Revelation 21 says there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. And there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. When we pray for miraculous breakthrough, whether we get it in an instant or whether sometimes God answers our prayers in a way that we didn't ask for and didn't expect, we can know that God is with us in all of it. He is in the waiting, and he's in the healing. Because sometimes his eternal perspective looks incredibly different to ours. So finally, singing prepares us for what is to come. Worship through music is one of the few things that we know for definite goes on in heaven. John and Isaiah both get some incredible visions that we won't go into now because I've talked for quite a long time, but about what heaven looks like, what heavenly worship looks like that we can then mirror out in how we worship here as much as we are capable of. But in Revelation 7, verses 9 to 10, the Apostle John has this vision of eternity. And he says, I see a great multitude of people from every tribe and peoples and language singing before the Lamb. Because salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Scripture doesn't paint a picture of us all sitting on pews at some eternal concert and appreciating the angelic singing. 
we all get to join in. Worship is a foretaste of what is to come. I'm going to read you a quote from Bob Coughlin, and it's quite long, but it's great. So here we go. The book of Revelation doesn't give us the impression that Jesus died for independent soloists, people who would sing on their own clouds or in different sections of the renewed earth all by themselves. He died to redeem a universal choir. What we'll experience in that world in the new heavens and the new earth? Well, while we all won't be singing all the time, I can tell you this, when we do sing, it will be like nothing we've ever experienced. We'll have clearer minds to take in all of the glories of God. We'll have new strength to give him the glory that he deserves. And we'll have unlimited time in which to do it. Free from every and any impact of sin. Singing will fully and finally serve the purpose for which it was intended. And until that day, we continue to sing. Thanking God with old songs that join us with the saints of history, enjoying new songs that enable us to express eternal truth in fresh ways, and anticipating the songs that are yet to come. The Saviour has rescued us so that we can sing the songs of the redeemed. May we sing it well. May we sing it constantly. May we sing it passionately. May we sing it for his glory and the advancing of his gospel until the day comes when we will sing songs without end. Why do we sing? We sing for one simple reason, to give God our praise because he alone deserves it. It's good and it's right, but worshipping is a choice. We choose to engage with it. So today, your song might be joyful. You might have an awful lot to thank God for. Or maybe the psalm in your heart is one full of lament and questions and seeking God's faithfulness in it all. But it's yours to engage with. It's yours to express to the one who knows you completely and loves you beyond measure. Now, our Treehouse kids last week, they're doing the psalms, which is very well coordinated, and it's great, but we made them guess how many psalms there were. We were playing a bit of higher or lower, and then one of them grabbed hold of infinity. And infinity is a great word when you're a kid, and it's exciting. So then lots of them are like, infinity, there's infinity psalms. But there are, because each of us have got a ton of them in us. We've got the songs of thankfulness, and we see God do something incredible, or we delight in creation. And we've got the songs full of our questions and going, God, why is this the way it is? Help me to seek you and find you in it. So whatever your song is this morning, sing it before God. Make time to process all the stuff that you have going on with the one who loves you beyond measure. Because we're going to sing because God does it. And he loves us beyond measure and he wants us to be like him because he knows we've got something good to do in singing. We're going to sing because he commands it of us, but we're going to sing because it's one of the mechanisms by which he brings us transformation, by which he embeds his truth in us and ingrains in us great theology. We're going to sing together and it will bond us together as a church and it will give us a space to deal with our emotions in a healthy way with God and lament in the tough seasons. And we're going to sing because it gives us that tiny, delicious foretaste of how amazing it's going to be when we're in heaven, pain-free, the creator of the universe, and joining with one voice. 
So I'll pray for us as Graham comes back up and we're going to sing together. Oh, Lord God, I thank you that you love us, that your care is so great for us, that you designed us so wonderfully to engage with you, and that singing's just one of many ways you want us to relationally encounter you. Lord God, I pray what, what it's just been of me today, you will just blow away on the wind, but the truths that you want people's hearts to hear from you, Lord God, plant that stuff deep. Grow it into something beautiful. Pray, give us boldness as we encounter you and expectation of encountering your presence as we deal with all the stuff that we are currently holding, whether joyful and full of delight or whether brutal and painful. Father God, I thank you that you love us all just as we are. We never need to pretend before you. You know every thought in our minds. So give us boldness and give us courage as we bring this stuff before you. Help us to unite as one big family as we do this together and we pray over one another. We pray, Holy Spirit, move amongst us. In the wonderful name of Jesus.